Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings and salutations and welcome to what we can finally say and call the full finals edition of Outside the Sheds. Shedheads, a lot of things going on, a lot of things happening. Uh, Before I start the show, I want to give and dedicate this show to uh, Colette Jackson, uh, a very important member of my family that passed away um, this week. So we're going through some things, um, but you know what? That's what we do in life. We, 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 We find hurdles, we find obstacles, and we attempt to climb over them as best we can. And that's a perfect segue to what we're getting ready to talk about right now, and that's finals. That is 16 teams, eight in the NRL, eight in the AFL, even though we know that the AFL, some of the clubs have been eliminated already, but all heading towards one prize. Months and months and months of training, preparation, um, sacrifice, uh, pain, all put into going to this goal as a team, as one, and that's what we love about the game. That's what we love about sport because it's a microcosm of life, um, having a goal, looking at it, and doing everything you possibly can to get it done and to find it. But the beautiful thing about sport, unless we're talking about tennis, which we're going to talk about later on Outside the Bubble, is you get to do it with your brothers. You get to do it with your teammates. And that is, to me, what makes team sport such a beautiful, beautiful thing Um, and and something that I think that we all want to be a part of. And it's a family. It's a unit. It's all of that. But before we can go into finals week one, we have to go back and talk about, as we start the 40-20, the last round of the NRL season, round 25. And it all started off with the Eels and the Storm for the battle for fourth place. Something the Storm have done, I think, for a very, very long time. I think 2014 was the last time they did not make the top four. Uh, I may be wrong, um, but still, it's been a long time. Most teams wish that they could be in the top four for five years straight, let alone, you know, seven or eight. But it was a big battle because Parramatta was playing some incredible footy. The Storm... Going into the game, find out Jerome Hughes is not going to play. And again, Bellyache has tried to get his team over a hurdle without his full roster. And it just didn't go that well for the team. They showed some fight in the end, but Parramatta's bigs, uh, Mitchell Moses, I still say is playing some of the best footy of his career. Uh, He's leading, he's dictating the team. Uh, Clint Gutherson playing great in the fullback position. And I think Dylan Brown is that that key cog that is partnering with Mitchell Moses. It's giving him the ability to have a wild card as he continues to lead structure from the halves position. But Parramatta, a team that a lot of people a couple weeks ago were wondering were they going to stay in the eight, have now solidified that top four position with that 22-14 win over the Storm. And it drops the Storm into fifth and, as we all know, sets up a rematch, a battle between friends, Bellyache against Sticky, 
Raiders down at Amy Park against the Storm. So, uh, great job for Parramatta. Dom, I know that you and the fam are quite excited. You're going to be wearing the blue and gold uh, in a matter of hours. So, we'll have to see what happens there. Bulldogs 21, Seagulls 20. You know, a strong second half by the Dogs. I really thought this, that that uh, Manly was going to to send Kieran Ford out on top, and they just couldn't do it. I'm saying the Dogs did to the Seagulls what everyone's done to the Seagulls the last, you know, I don't know, since 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 Woman of League round, a.k.a. for Manly Pride round, but... They just couldn't go over the top, and, and and now that's opened the door for so many things, and we've got to talk uh, as we go into the deeper dive about what's going on at Manly, uh, but you have to feel strong for the dogs that they just didn't go away, and they got the victory over the Seagulls. The match that everyone was talking about, Roosters 26, Rabbitohs 16, the kickoff of the new Allianz Stadium, a finals round one preview. Uh, and it goes the way of the Chooks. And and I really, I can't say that I was surprised because I did pick the Roosters. I thought that they were going to be playing with a lot of emotion with the opening of their new stadium, and they produced. Uh, I think that that Jeremy Hargraves and Matt Lodge forward one-two punch is something special, to say the least. Um, so... We'll have to see what goes on forward, what happens next week, because I know the Bunnies are getting some key members back, and we're going to go into uh, some of these these teams are getting back some big, big, big players uh, for their rounds. But I don't see I don't see the same game playing out uh, because one, and we haven't talked about it yet, uh, Joey Manu going down with that calf tear, and that is that wild card that the Roosters have that I think could be the thing that we point back later could be uh, a major turning point in this game. Coming up, Titans 27, Warriors 26. A.J. Brimson and the Titans. The Titans, that was great. A.J. Brimson and the Titans finishing the season strong, um, winning three of four. So, it's kind of, you know, rugby league is a crazy, crazy thing. A few weeks ago, people were wondering if Justin Holbrook was going to finish the season. And now he comes into the offseason with a team that looks like they're getting their confidence back. A team that found I think might have found their gun in A.J. Brimson playing the way. I don't know if A.J. Brimson senses that it's going to be a battle to see who's going to play in the halves with Kieran Foran coming in next season. Um, but... I've got to say, this is some of the best football I've seen A.J. Brimson play maybe in his career, uh, putting it back-to-back-to-back like this. So, um, good job by the Titans. Now, on the other hand, the Warriors, they must be cousins to the Tigers because I have no idea how they let a lead like that get away from them. Um, But they did. And, you know, you can say, yeah, Sean Johnson wasn't there. Um, but it's just really sad. I, you know, I've, I've watched some, some incredible Warriors teams play some very, very, uh, motivated, uh, spiritual football. And I just don't see any of that anymore. I just, I just don't. And I, and I, 
I don't want to say that it had to be Simon Mannering when he was captaining the club, that you know his heart and his will um, was the stamp on that team. But they just don't have any type of leadership. They don't have any type of cohesion. They don't have this real sense that they're playing for one another. You know, they've got, you know, Reese Walsh back at fullback, who's not even going to be there next year. Um, it just was, it was just really bad. And it just stunk up the room. Um, and for as long as the New Zealand people waited to get that team back, uh, it just, it just really bad, just really bad all the way around. And, and, and I don't know um, if I would say that they're trending upward because, you know, Sean Johnson's coming back next year. Uh, you know, but did Sean Johnson show you anything that that should be something that you should be excited about? Because he's not the Sean Johnson of a few years ago that was the Golden Boot winner. So a lot of questions to be asked um, and answered for the New Zealand Warriors. Dragons 22, Broncos 12. The Broncos slide completed. The fallout of the top eight solidified. The Dragons putting them to the sword, plain and simple. I, I I, don't know. I just thought for some reason that the Broncos were going to find some inspiration. Uh, you know, the Dragons didn't have anything to play for. But then I forgot. I forgot the major thing about this is that there are quite a few. I think there were six ex-Broncos that were on that team that played, excuse me, on that Dragons team that played the Broncos. And when you have players that might have felt like they were slighted by a club and they have a chance to, how should I say, end the chance of you going to the finals, I I made a bad call there. I'm going to admit it, Shedheads, I made a bad call because the Dragons, even though it looked like they didn't have a lot to play for, had something major to play for, and that was their pride. And they showed that. And the Broncos just couldn't turn the car on. They They just could not find a gear they could get them out of the garage and get them down the road, and it shows. And now questions have to be asked. Is it still a successful season? Um, starting this season, no one really projected that the, that the Broncos would be in the top eight. But after beating Parramatta, they're in the top four, and a lot of people, I think, just thought that they were just going to ride that wave out and, and maybe not finish in the top four, but definitely be playing finals footy. And it didn't, it didn't, it didn't play out that way. So... Um, Sad ending for the Broncos. Dragons, uh, I, you know, I guess you can say that that was a great ending for them. They, they played well towards the end of the season. Uh, but a lot of people felt that they should have been in the top eight. So um, a little uncertainty there. But I think you could say that there's a little bit of building foundation there with the Dragons as well. Cowboys 38, Panthers 8. Uh, the Panther Cubs, just not enough against the Cows. Uh, the Cows had... You know, second place to play for, just in case the Sharkies fell. Um, but really a strong game by the, by North Queensland. Um, I don't know why we would expect anything else. They are a Todd Payton coach club, and they showed that they do it the Todd Payton way. They finish strong, and they take care of their business. And if things fall their way, they fall their way. But they did take care of business. And then that led to the Sharks 38 Night 16. The Knights put up a fight. You have to admit that. Um, but the Sharks locked down that number two position. And and to me, it, it sets up a, a pretty... It, to me, it could be the game of the round for the first round. And a lot of people don't see that. We're going to go into that a little bit later. Raiders 56, Tigers 10. Um, 
you know, the Raiders coast into the finals. They already knew that they were in the finals after after the Broncos dropped the ball. And they just went out there and played a strong game and just finished it out the way that you would want a club to finish it out. And then the Tigers, on the other hand, you know, down 42 to nothing at halftime. Just, again, like we were talking about the Warriors, no pride whatsoever. Um... I would say Dane Laurie was the only guy out there that looked like he somewhat cared. Uh, even though Dane Laurie usually has a look on his face that he's mad about something. Uh, I'll give him that. But just just bad. And and you, I know Tim Sheens and Benji are coming in next year. Robbie is going to be there, Robbie Farah. But, wow, you know, where, where do you go? You know, James Tomo's gone. Um, Jock Madden is leaving. There's talk that that um, that that there might be a new halfback going to Newcastle next year instead of possibly uh, Luke Brooks. I I just don't know. I have no idea which direction the Tigers are going in. I know a lot of people were excited when when Benji and Sheenzy came back or or projected they were going to be back next season. But what do they have to work with? That's my thing. They've got to get some key signings. And I don't know a lot of players that are intrigued to go and play for the West Tigers. So, um, sad ending. Sad ending for the Tigers. Now, I'm going in a different direction as I start the deep dive. Um, because after that hard-hitting affair that we watched between the Chooks and the Rabbitohs, in a do-or-die match to an extent, coming up this weekend, I think a lot of the talk should have been just those head-to-head matchups. Who's coming back? Uh, who's fully fit, all that type of stuff. But it took a, a different shift early in the week. And it and it came with, the I guess I would say, the lightning rod between these two teams right now in Latrell Mitchell coming out in a press conference and pretty much saying that he understands the flack and the criticism that he takes, understands that there's going to be some vitriol in this stuff that comes his way, but that fans could do it in a little different sense and maybe not in the type of booing that they do. Now, he then referenced Adam Goods, and and I don't know, a lot of you might not know Adam Goods, and a lot of you who listen to this show definitely will. Adam Goods was a champion player uh, for the Sydney Swans. And the Swans and and Goods just were a very, very, very strong team, very, very strong dynamic. And it ended bad. It ended badly. Almost to the fact where Adam Goods, because of some racist taunting, just said he had had enough and was done with the game. So when any time an indigenous player brings up Adam Goods' name, you kind of get that sense that we're talking about that there were some racist overtones that were thrown Latrell's way. And I think there's some footage that's been shown of Latrell getting ready to make a, a, a kick. And you can see there's some, some, some fans behind him that have had a few too many libations. Maybe not too many to some of you. But they were living a little bit large, if you know what I mean. And we're really giving him the spray. Now, I have no problem with people giving the spray but there's a line that you can't cross. All right, so that's kind of my, my my backstory on this, where we're going. So I turn it on 
to Fox League. And there's a few shows I watch on Fox League. I, you know, I get a lot of my coverage from there. And 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 over here in the divided states, that's the best way that I can see a lot of the stuff. But I turned it on a show that had a panel of four pigmently challenged figureheads speaking. All right. And these guys went on, and, and I respect a lot of these 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 people talking, okay? But they went on this diatribe that they actually said that they were worried about Latrell. They were worried about Latrell's mental state. That he really didn't seem like he understood what was going on here. And I really have to tell you, Shedheads, I was taken back by this. I was taken back by this because no one on that panel, and a lot of people don't understand, that indigenous players... And over here in the divided states and around the world, EPL, uh, you know, the, 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 the Bundesliga, not as much, but uh, Sierra A in, 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 in Italy, players of color, players of, I guess you would say minority descent, definitely take different criticism and different type of vitriol from fans. You know, there was talk in Moscow when some teams would go there that they were making monkey calls and, 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 just, and just stuff like that. So when you see four guys standing up there that have never felt that before, never felt that before, and don't go to the card because they don't know. Last time I checked, no, none of those four individuals on that panel were sitting in that crowd that low to the field and heard any of the stuff said to Latrell. None of them. And the thing with indigenous players that I was leading to when I said this is none of, no player that is of indigenous descent, of, of, of black descent, of minority descent, ever liked to just go out there and throw the race card or say that I was getting racially taunted. Because it, it gets old. It gets old for them. And a lot of times when it gets old for them, they don't want to bring that up because they don't want to give credence to the people that are saying it, one. But they don't also want to fire up the people that are already thinking it but might say it now again. And I think we miss that. I think a lot of people miss the stuff that is said. And I have no problem with people calling you a bum I have no problem saying that you're a loser for leaving us because don't forget, there are some strong, strong, strong emotions about Latrell. First off, the Chooks fans are probably not happy that he left to go to their rivals, the Rabbitohs. Okay, understand. Then last year, he really started a lightning rod of, of controversy by car- caving in Joey Manu's face. A guy that he was really close to I don't know how close they are anymore, but it was a really good friend to him. And that tackle, which I can't say was dirty, dirty, was definitely aggressive, and it definitely did damage to Joey Manu, right? So much so that it got Latrell suspended the rest of the season, and he didn't get to play in the grand final, which could have been the, 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 a, a deciding factor in why South Sydney lost the grand final. But all of those things being said, that does not give anybody, and I mean anybody, the right 
to use race, religion, or sexual orientation against a player to call them out or to use that in a derogatory manner towards them. It doesn't give you the right. And when you, and, and, and my feeling is these guys that were sitting on that panel, if they would have said, you know, I don't know what Latrell copped. I don't know what was actually said to him. But if it was of a racial manner, I can understand why he might have been upset. But that was never said. What they said was, we don't think it was of, of any type of racial. Well, how would you know? And the way that he reacted told me that he heard some things. Things that you shouldn't have to hear. But the problem that a lot of people don't understand is players that don't look like a lot of players in that or people in that crowd cop that all the time. LeBron James says he still cops it when he goes up to Utah and goes on the road. LeBron James, one of the one of the Mount Rushmore of athletes right now playing professional sports around the world, says he still cops stuff. So if that guy can be talked to like that, why do you think Latrell wouldn't be talked to like that? And I just see and I just get that sense from the way that he said that. He wasn't going to he wasn't going to say that because all of a sudden here comes all of the pundits, here comes all of the media, here comes all of the stuff the week before finals round 1, Chooks versus Rabbitohs, it's a race thing. And he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. And no one should want that. But I think that it's a disgrace for four men that have never felt that to come out and just call him out and, and wonder and hope that he's doing mentally all right. Or to get mad at him for him saying that he wishes booze would be a little bit different. Latrell knows what he's up against. All right, shedheads? Latrell knows that he's going to cop that. But he doesn't deserve to cop anything more than saying he's a bum and, a, and a, a loser or a quitter. Yeah. So what? But I think we need to do better. And I think we need to do better to opening our minds, opening, opening our hearts to players that might not look like everybody else. And instead of putting them under the knife, maybe embracing them and saying that that stuff needs to be out of it. And again, we wonder why racism still is alive and well, um, and and I don't think it's going anywhere. But it needs to be stamped out. And I know that there's all of these these campaigns and stuff that have been released to knock out racism and stuff. But we just need to do a lot better, and we need to be humans and humans to everybody. So there we go. That's my story on that. Can't wait. Let's just play some footy. Uh, Roosters chooks. Can't wait. Now, Shedheads, I said this a little bit earlier. A lot of people are excited for finals round one for a couple different matches. We all know everyone's excited about the Chooks and, and the Rabbitohs. That's, you know, the oldest rivalry in the game. A lot of people out west are beyond excited for the Eels and the Panthers. A lot of people, all right, Dom, calm down. A lot of people really excited thinking that Parramatta have a good chance of beating Penrith. I think you're crazy. I think that this is the first time we've had a full healthy Penrith squad all year. It's the first time they'll have every single member that should be starting, starting, and you've got a motivated Nathan Cleary. I think the Eels are in trouble. 
that's me. But to me, the game that really has the most intrigue that I cannot wait to see is the Sharks against the Cows. And there's a lot of backstory that makes this a really juicy affair that we're about ready to see. Number one is the two players that are going to be key, 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 did I say key? Key components in the outcome of this match. And that's Chad Townsend, Valentine Holmes. Two heroes of the Sharks from 2016 that allowed Cronulla to turn the lights off and get down to celebrating something they hadn't been able to do since 1967 when they came into the competition. And don't think that Val and especially Chad Townsend are not motivated to getting down to Cronulla, going back into the new Shark Park and showing that maybe, especially for Chad, that you left a, you let a guy leave that had a lot left in the tank. Because a lot of people talk about Nico Hines and, and I and I Nico's great. But to me, Chad Townsend is the buy of last offseason. And the reason being, no one thought that North Queensland was going to make the eight, let alone the top four. Nobody did. Maybe except for maybe some of the guys in that locker room. But I don't think they even did until they finally bought into Todd Payton's preseason. But Chad Townsend has stabilized. He's put Tom Dearden on the map. He's slowed the game down for Dearden so much so that he made Origin. That he was probably the rock star of Origin 3 for the Maroons. And then you talk about Val Holmes. Valentine Holmes, the guy that to me came onto the scene, Auckland Nines with that kick from the corner. Valentine Holmes, that to me, I still see Val as a shark. I know he's not. I know that. I definitely don't see him as a jet, but that's something else. But these guys are going to be beyond motivated to get back to Cronulla to play well. And then you have Cronulla with their new Shark Park actually being able to host it in a rabid fan base that's going to be loud, boisterous. It's going to have a probably a different home field advantage than any of the other games we're going to see this opening weekend. Now, those are great storylines, but I think it goes even deeper than this because I think what we have here are two form teams of the competition that play the type of footy that is just exciting. And that is why I think this is going to be the game that goes over the top because both teams have young stars at the club that I think we're going to see for a a long time to come. Guys that I think will maybe down the path be immortal players for those clubs. You have exciting brands of football. Exciting attacking. What I mean by exciting is attack oriented. Both of these teams will play defense because both coaches, Fitzy and Peyton, believe in defense. But they will throw the ball around. And that is some exciting stuff. Because if a lot of people forget, Peyton was on that 2005 West Tigers team. 
So he knows about attack. He knows about about throwing the ball around. And you know, and Fitzy won, you know, a championship with a rooster. So these these two guys, even though they preach defense and they hold their teams accountable for defense, all know about the attack as well. And I and I again cannot wait to see. I've been to Shark Park. I haven't been to the new Shark Park. I was treated quite well by the Cronulla faithful when I was there. Um, matter of fact, I got treated like a rock star. I'll never forget the experience I had at Cronulla, the way that that club took care of me and, and Mrs. Shedadamas when we were there. Uh, it's it's one of my, uh, probably one of the most exciting moments that I've had being in Australia and being treated beyond well. Um, but we won't, we won't dive into that right now. But what I'm saying is it's a special atmosphere, and I think I cannot wait to see what type of footy transpires there this weekend. And I have that picked as my game of the weekend. Now, Shedheads, I've got to talk before we go into some finals, uh, I guess players that are coming back. I want to dive into this scandal that's going on at Manly because D-Day came and went. Um, Dez is going to be with Manly next year. And I think that's good. I don't think that Desi needs to go anywhere. One of the things you know about Manly, and if you don't know this, here you go. Manly needs to be coached by a Manly guy. And a lot of people don't understand that, but that's just what Manly is. It's one of those special places. D.Y., love it. But it it is just its own little thing. It's its own little kind of cult to an extent. And... I don't think there's a guy that gets Manly more than Desi. Desi encompasses it. He played for the club. He just really gets it. And when you get a guy that's like that, and then sometimes you have ownership, and we know that everything kind of fell off the rails for Manly with the, the woman in league round. And, and the funny thing is, I hear people call it the pride round that happened. It was not the pride round. It was the women of league round. And Manly decided to go in a different direction. Instead of wearing their a pink jersey, they wore a pride jersey. Which I still don't understand. Because it was not pride round. It was women of league round. But that's me. Again, we talked about this when it happened. But that's when everything kind of, you know, the, the, the back tire blew out, the donut went on, it started to chug down the track, all that type of stuff. But the problem is now there's two sides. There's Dez, who's got the players backing. There's owner Scott Penn and the Manly Power Brokers. I don't think Dez respects Scott Penn much. So much so that word is that Dez locked him out of Manley's locker room for the last game of the season. Probably not the smartest thing to do, Dez, but it is what it is. But the other thing that I think makes Dez um, not respect Penn as much is Scott Penn lives mostly in New York City. And I that confuses me a little bit. That's That confuses me quite a bit. How does a guy not even living in Australia talk about the... Wait a second. Wait a second. Erase that. How does a guy run a club that does not really live anywhere close to the area of a team that he owns. I don't know. I, I guess 
you know, we all learn that we can coexist without being at work. I guess we've all learned over these last two and a half, three years since the old cove came into existence and came into our daily lives that Zoom and chat and all that type of stuff that people do can still make this world go round. Now, I will say that it has an adverse effect on people. I think that people really love that interaction, the feeling of warmth, the feeling of looking in somebody's eyes, the feeling of being able to give a hug. I understand that. I understand that. Um, But I think Dez has a problem with that. I think he has a problem with a guy that's not there week in and week out. A guy that left him and DCE out to dry by fronting a press conference when there was nobody that even made the decisions that caused the upheaval in that locker room and the divide in that locker room. No one was there. And they put those guys out there. So I understand, Dez. I understand I, I, and I, I can't say that. I was going to say that I understand the reaction of the manly power brokers. But to me, this is a power struggle. Well, anyway, we can go on and on and on about this. So it's come out that Dez will be back next year in the locker room. It sounds like that these these powers that be are going to have him make some 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 changes in the coaching staff, maybe some changes in uh, maybe fitness coaches, training coaches, that type of stuff. But it, but Dez will be back. Now, here's the problem. These people that are trying to maybe make a change, they might want to be bringing a coach up from Blacktown, which we're not even going to say names because I'm not saying names for a guy that hasn't coached in the, even in the NRL yet. All right, nothing against his coaching philosophy or or you know his coaching style, but I'm not talking about him on the same platform as Dez Hasler. All right, I'm just not. But the problem that these power brokers have missed is that Dez is getting back turbo next year. And I don't know where he's going to play play Tommy. I don't know if he's going to keep Garrick in the one and put Tommy at center. I don't know. You've got to do something to make sure Tommy stays on the field. We all know this. But if Tommy plays all year, Manley's making it in the top eight. Tommy, Tommy's one of the top five players in the competition. So when you add that, to a team that before Women of League round debacle was mainlining, streaming towards a finals berth, why would you think that Dez could not lead a team that he understands so well into a top six position? I think you're insane if you think that. I think that that's the problem with people that have never played the game but try to make decisions don't get. You're not in that locker room. You're not galvanizing in that locker room. You're not leading men into battle from that locker room. And so Dez is going to get stronger the longer you leave him there and let him just coach that team. Because with success comes belief. With belief becomes causes companionship and, and, and mateship. And that's what I don't think that people that have never thrown the footy around don't really fully get. And that's why I'm going to back Des. So I guess after all of my talking right there, we just know Des is going to be back next year. Now, it's a little confusing because Des says he got an extension and the powers of B did not say anything about an extension. They just said, we'll talk about an extension, seeing how the club is going next year. So a little confusing there. But Des Hasler will be back 
at and coaching at Brookvale, and you heard I did call it Brookvale, Brookvale Oval next year. So going to be great to see Desi back. Now, Shedheads, I know the most important thing that we need to talk about is these games coming up for the finals. And I think the biggest part about that is going into week one, what bullets are these are these teams putting back into their gun to help them fire to try to get that trophy? So let's go over some players that are making their return uh, to the clubs. And we start off with the with the Cronulla Sharks. Dale Finucan. I think we know that 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 Dale is a key, key part of that defense. He's a key part of that ferocity of that team. So Dale Finucan's back. Will Kennedy's back. Which is going to be interesting. Uh, do does Bubba just slot back into that fullback position? Um, you know, it's going to be interesting there. I I think he does. I think he should. I think he should go right back into the one. But I think Fitz will be watching at training this week how he looks and if he really feels that he can play a full eighty in that position. Connor Tracy. Connor Tracy is going to be back, and I think. Connor Tracy might be the unsung hero at the Sharks. Um, a lot of guys, a lot of people thought that Connor Tracy was going to be a possible have there, and he hasn't. He's played incredible in the wing. He's played really well in the center position. I think he's just a football and a gun player all the way around. And then big man, the guy that a lot of people didn't expect to be back. It looks like Talakai is going to be back uh, from that high ankle sprain, syndesmosis, whatever you want to call it. Um, but... I don't know if they'll fully play him. And the reason I say that is if Connor Tracy's back or if they think that they can plug somebody else in there, uh, do you rest Talakai one more week um, or possibly give him two more weeks rest if they can get over the top of the, of the cows um, and let him come back really fresh for that preliminary final if they get the victory. So uh, big, big inclusions for the Sharks. For the cows, Cowan Hess is the only player that's really coming back that I think is going to be a, a, a key member for them for a little bit of the battering ram effect that he can bring to the field. So, Colin Hess will be back. Now, going into that Panthers-Eels, I told you that the Panthers were going to be stronger than they have been all season. Abby Curacao is back. Spencer Lenu is back. And then the guy that everyone is expecting and exciting to see back, Nathan Cleary. Going to be out there, motivated, uh, and I think he is going to be at his best, to put it plain and simple, Jedhead. So, um, some huge, huge inclusions for a Panthers club that is finally fully healed and ready to fire. The Eels, not really any inclusions for them. And that's the kind of unique thing about the situation is that there's... Pretty, pretty, you know, pretty much healthy going into this game. So um, good, I guess, for, for Parramatta, but really good for Penrith. Roosters, Jeremiah Hargraves, back. Sam Verrills, Joseph Swahili. I think I said that right since he doesn't want to be called Swahili anymore. Victor Radley and Daniel Tupo are back. Those are huge, huge additions for the Roosters. Now, do those inclusions take away the fact that Joey Manu is not going to be out there? Because Manu, to me, 
uh, is that wild card that you really can't put a finger on of what he can produce and what he'll do. So that one to me is kind of an up-in-the-air call. But I will say the Roosters, that roster looks strong, uh, and I I think you know they're going to lift to the occasion. Now, for the Bunnies... Cam Murray is back. And and as I go into saying Cameron Murray is back, and why I don't say that with a lot of exuberance, is because he's coming back from another concussion. I think it's his fourth concussion in two months, or head knock, however you want to say it. And I don't know how you can put a young man back out there that has shown recently that his head might not be fully right. And that could be the case. And I and I don't know the scrutiny the NRL will come under and the Rabbitohs will come under if Cameron Murray does not make it through this game unscathed. If he goes down with another head knock, there will be some major questions asked about the way that the NRL allows players to come back from head trauma and 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 HI, you know, head, you know, concussion. And I and I and I don't think that I personally I don't think he should be playing. I know he's, you know, players like this are always going to say they're right, but sometimes you have to keep players out of their own way. But at this current moment, Cameron Murray is slotted to be in the side. Campbell Graham is back. Uh Havili is back. And Damian Cook, who had a really tough time with his first bout with COVID, uh, a lot of reports are the second time around has not been as bad for him. So that's good. Uh, but but we know how well uh, and what Cookie adds to, to that field and to the middle of that field when he's back. So it's good to have him back. For the Storm, Kenny Bromwich, Nick Meany, and I think the big one, and, and there looks like there's still a little bit of cloud cover over this. And what I mean by that is that the sun isn't fully shining on on Jerome Hughes being back out there. But at this current juncture, he is still penciled in to start in the halves. Uh, and I think that's everything. Because if Jerome Hughes is not in the halves, that changes what they really want to do with Cameron Munster. If he's back... Munster can go back to the fullback position and he can slide around and you can use him uh, in a lot of different positions, in a lot of different ways. But if if Hughes isn't back and you're trusting Cooper Johns to kind of try to lead the team around the field, you're going to see Munster back, I think, personally in the halves more than you're going to see him back at the fullback position. And I think it's going to be an interchange between him and Nick Meany kind of shifting back and forth into who's going to be in the one and who's going to be in the six. So some huge, huge inclusions. And I guess that leads us up to the picks for this week. Finals week one. We went 50% last week. We won't talk about some of those 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 misses by your shed, Adamas. But we know we step it up for the finals. So starting it off, Eels versus the Panthers in a matter of hours. Shedheads, I'm going Panthers all the way. I, I don't I don't see I don't see them losing three times in, in one season to one club. Uh, and I think they're gonna be beyond motivated to uh, holding 
holding serve, as you know, and I uh, when we say it, you know, it's U.S. Open time. I've got to use tennis references. So I have the Panthers over the Eels. Saturday, Cowboys versus the Sharks. It's at Shark Park. I can see this game going either way. The only reason I'm taking the Sharkies in this is because they are playing in Cronulla. So I'm going with the Sharks in that one. And then finally, finishing it off at Amy Park, Raiders versus the Storm. I know a lot of the money is going towards the Raiders right now. Uh, Sticky's boys um, are playing some pretty motivated footy. They've had good luck playing down in Melbourne. But I'm going to say this right now. I am not betting against Bellyache or Munster in a, in a do-or-die, must-win situation. I'm taking the Storm to beat the Raiders. And then finally, the match everyone's talking about, the rematch from round 25, Chooks versus the Rabbitohs. This is a tough one. But I'm still going to go with the Roosters getting the victory. Uh, I think, I just, you know, I picked them to do some special things this year. And I do think that somehow they're going to find a way to come over the top of their their bitter rivals. I think they find it. Um, and I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Jerry Hargraves and Matt Lodge uh, that are really going to, to, to do some work um, and, and just soften up the underbelly of the Rabbitohs. I am going Chucks for that one. So there we go. Finals week one. Picks are in. Let's go from there. Now, as we shift to on the mark and we go back over the round one, finals round one, I guess finals week one. Why don't we say it that way? Finals week one scores. Man, we got some games, Shedheads. Wow, we got some games. I was I was blown away uh, by two of them for sure. Um, the other ones were okay. They weren't bad at all. You know, you had some exciting things happen, but two of these games were games that people will be talking about for a very, very long time. One of those leading it off, Lions 106, Tigers 104, the Battle of the Big Cats, 17 late lead changes, and a video review sees and gets the Lions home. Uh, as you can guess, my deep dive uh, for On the Mark is definitely going to start off with this game. Um, but the Lions getting over the top of the Tigers to start and kick off finals week one. Swans 91, Demons 69. Uh, and, and the crazy thing about this game is even without their all-stars firing for the Swans, Sydney still finds a way, the Bloods still find a way to beat the defending champions and 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 beat them pretty much soundly, I guess you could say. You know, that's, you know, 22 points is a big, big victory when you have these two teams going head to head. And I and I've said this for a, for probably the second half of the season. I really like the Sydney Roosters. Excuse me, the Sydney. Yeah, I like the Roosters too. I like the Sydney Swans club. Um, the Bloods look really, really well. And when you beat the Demons, and Buddy pretty much is nowhere to be seen during the match. You got to feel good about your chances going forward. So great victory by the Swans. Cat 78, Magpie 72. After a six-year drought, the Cats finally get a week one victory. Um, and it was a classic. A classic. And as, 
as you can guess when I say classic multiple times, something I want to talk about in, in, in more depth coming up here in the deeper dive. And then finally, Docker 73, Bulldog 60, the game that really had a lot of people scratching their head, me included, um, down 41 points. You know, the dogs came out, out, they came out of the kennel rabid. Let's just say it that way. Uh, they look strong. They look dangerous. They look like there was nothing that was going to stop them. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if their brakes gave out. I don't know if their accelerator pedal went down. I don't know what happened. But the doctors woke up. And they woke up so much so, they ended up winning by 13 points. That's the reason you have to watch a game from the beginning to the end. You have no idea what the outcome is going to be. You have no idea which team is going to all of a sudden just wake up and and really do some damage when a lot of people thought that they were dead in the water. So big victory by the doctors. Uh, you know, and without Nat Fife even in the game, uh, you have to say that that the doctors really surprise a lot of people, your your Shedadamas included. Now as we go into the deeper dive of On The Mark, I hate doing it, but I'm going to have to do this. I am so tired, Shedhead, of bunkers and 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 video reviews and, and I just, I'm just, I'm just so tired of it. The ARC, uh, the bunker, um, let's go to the videotape. The last guy that I liked hearing say "Let's go to the videotape" was a was a, a sports broadcaster in America called Warner Wolf, and most of you won't even know that name, but he would always go "Let's go to the videotape." That's it. That's the last time I liked it. I'm not a big review guy. I'm not a big guy about slowing down the emotion of the game. I think it's taken away from the NRL. I think when you always had to go upstairs to confirm a try and you don't let the on-field officials make the calls and decisions, I think you get away from that. I think you get away, and and and, and people just can't celebrate because they don't know what's getting ready to happen next. And that's what we've got. We, we had a match that was a match of the ages. I told you this as we started, you know, 17 lead changes for the match. Um, and it was an all-time classic. I'm saying the Lions and the Tigers and the Bears, I'm joking. The Lions and the Tigers left it all out on the field. They played a, a, a match that was like a heavyweight fight. We're talking, we're talking Muhammad Ali, uh, George Foreman, just toe-to-toe. Who was going to be standing last, right? Um, and there was 16 lead changes up until the the big key moment of the match, the Tom Lynch kick, right? And you remember what I just said a few minutes ago? I I said, the thing that takes away from the excitement is when it's taken away from the on-field decision, right? Well, in the AFL, when a decision is made, right? And it's kind of like this way in the NRL, but when a decision is made and they go up to the ARC, Okay, or to video review, whatever you want to say. The the footage has to be 100%, no shadow of a doubt. It was easy to see for us to upturn, overturn a call, right? It has to be that way. And after the Tom Lynch kick, which was awarded as a goal on the field for the Tigers, 
which looked like it had put the Tigers over the top, which looked like by every means that they were getting ready to march on to week two of the finals. They go upstairs. And I've seen all of the different footage. I've seen all of the the different freeze frames. I've seen it all. And even the broadcaster during the time said, and I quote, he's like, I don't see enough on any of those videos to show without a shouted out evidence that that was a behind. Okay, all right, cool, right? So the one thing that to me was the, uh uh-oh, was Tom Lynch did not sell it. Tom Lynch didn't jump around like he had, I I don't know, you know, drank 15 cups of coffee or drank three monster drinks. You know what I'm saying? He just did not seem energized. And I don't know, was he nervous? I don't know if he had a flashback to when he was with the Gold Coast Suns, knowing that he was not going to get the shadow, he wasn't going to get anything in his favor with this. I don't know what it was. Um... But there was no clear answer from the footage that was sent up to the ARC. But a decision comes down of a behind. And it drove me crazy because deep down I knew the moment that 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 call came down and that was a behind that somehow the Tigers were going to lose the match. I just knew it. I knew it instantly because... The game went from being, if the Lynch goal counts, 109 to 100 with not much time on the clock. But because of it being made a behind, it was not. It was still within range. It was 104 to 100. And like I said, I just I just knew that it was, it was going to be trouble for the Tigers down the batch. And it enabled the Lions... To do one of the most dramatic late goals probably in Brisbane Lions history. And it also took the monkey off the back of Joe Danaher. Who somehow got behind 32 Tigers. Alright, it wasn't 32. But it felt like it if you looked at all the guys back. And somehow put a soccer style kick in. That brought home the victory for the Lions. But, but there's nothing worse than a game that has it all, that has players just leaving it all out there. You got Dusty running around out there at 80%, maybe at best. Um, and for it to come down to a a, a decision from a, a video referee, it, it, just, it just leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I think Dima said it best when he went into his press conference and said, if we need to do better. Uh, if that's the best we can do, we've got a lot to work on. But it's a done deal. It's 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 in stone now. Lions advance, setting up their showdown with the D's at the MCG, um, which I think was going to be um, something special. Um, we know that these two teams have a history. We know these two teams don't like each other. Um, just from a you know a, a few weeks ago with the bad blood Zorko and and all that type of stuff. So. This has a game, has a possibility to be a lot of fireworks. Uh, congratulations to the Lions. Um, but this game, 
I, I think get really, really dirty or, or nasty in some spots um, when it starts and it kicks off. But uh, after that, you know, I, I couldn't almost get my breath back. I'm saying I, I was sitting up, and, and as you know, my time range, it's 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, I'm trying to go to bed after watching that over here in the in the States. and um, But it was hard to imagine, you know, just hours later that a game would be played that would rival the intensity and the and the ferocity of the Tigers and the Lions. And we got just that. We got the Cats and the Pies, two teams that were flying on the table, two teams that were playing with immense confidence, uh, two teams that thought that they were the teams of destiny for this season right now. Uh and it was some incredible footy. It was, I, like I said, I, I cannot believe that just hours later I was watching a game this good again after watching the, 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 the Lions and the Tigers. Because the Cardiac Pies did what the Cardiac Pies did. They were playing a tight, close game. Uh, my palms were sweaty. And the Cats were the difference. And I told you last week that I was wondering how long the cardiac pies were going to be able to live right, you know, walk that tightrope, and for it to always keep falling in their favor. And 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 if the prison bars on the biggest stage, on the, some of the grandest stage besides the grand final itself, were going to find a game where it just didn't fall in their favor. And I was worried about that. I sensed it coming. If you watch enough sports, you know when a team keeps squeaking it out late that after a while that luck kind of, kind of, I don't want to say runs out, but you just can't have luck in sport go your way forever, right? You just can't. And that's when it came back to the Cats to me. Because the minor premieres, to me, show the mental steel of a veteran team who knows their time is now if it's ever going to be their time. Because Geelong really, I, I would say, rode the ups and downs of that match better than Collingwood. Now, you would probably expect them to because, to me, Geelong is a, a, a more veteran club. But there were some moments in there where I don't know if there's any other club playing right now that would have been able to stay in the game with the Pies the way that Geelong did. And maybe it has something to do with them winning 13 matches in a row. Um, You know, they just felt that we're never out of a game after going through that, after believing that much. Um, But they played incredible. They played incredible. And the mental toughness that they showed to me was just over the top because the cats trailed at the end of every quarter except for the final siren the final siren was the last time the geelong was on top on the on the scoreboard and like i said that's the time that matters most right and it, and, and and to me when you think about a geelong team playing against their their big rivals in collingwood like that you expect Dangerfield, you know, Hawkins, Selwood to kind of lead the team through, right? To kind of 
be those veterans that just kind of pull the boys along. And it wasn't that way at all. Those those three players, I wouldn't say they were non-existent, but they just didn't have the game that I don't think any of us were expecting. It's been a long time since I was almost wondering if Dangerfield was even on the field because they just weren't calling his name. But that's what makes Geelong Geelong. Because even without those guys playing that way or playing up to the level we expect them to play at, there are guys that still are right there. And they're not just you know also-rans. These guys are still stars in, the, in their own right. Because Jeremy Cameron and Gary Rowan, uh, they were the ones that led to me the hoops. They were the ones that got the key goals every time it looked like that Collingwood was about ready to separate, to pull away, and to just kind of go. Those guys were the ones that kind of kept pulling the rope and kept Collingwood close, kept them close. And like I said, when you're a team of destiny, when you're a team that really feels that it's your time, you can't have those same players week in and week out be your stars. And that 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 addition of Jeremy Cameron and Rowan, both guys that have come down from, from Sydney, um, were the reasons that the Cats got home. Now, as I talk up Geelong and, and, and the way that they battled and the way that they did their business and, and, and got the victory, Collingwood fan has nothing to be ashamed about because the Pies played... I would say the best game they possibly could have played except for that last, I would say, 12 to 15 minutes of the match. They, they just don't have anything to be ashamed about. I'm saying they, they left it all out there. Um, they just couldn't close it out. And, I, and, you, and, and after a while, like I said, when you have luck and, 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 and talent, I'm not saying they're not talented, but when you continue to have Lady Luck keep falling on your side, she can't stay with you forever. Right, but I was really impressed by Jordan Ngui. You know, the guy has been under the microscope all year after his bathrobe debacle in New York City and and all this, um, trying to get a new contract. The guy really tried to bring his team home in the end. I'm saying he to me was the standout guy for Collingwood because when the when the times were the toughest, and when he really needed to step up, Jordan Ngoi showed why he's an all-star in the AFL. He just couldn't do everything to get Collingwood there. And he played his heart out. And and that's all you can ask an all-star player to do. Now, I, I after the game, it, it was a little strange. Um, a lot of the Collingwood players were kind of carrying on a little bit like they'd lost and were out of finals. Which isn't the case. I'm saying they've got to get back up now and, 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 and return serve to the MCG and play Frio this week. Um, but even their coach was a little upset after their reaction to the loss to Geelong. Um, so it is going to be a really tough position that he's in to get them back up for this coming weekend. But it's going to be really, really interesting to see if Collingwood's, this one loss, which I was worried about for them, could have a lasting effect to be there two in a row. And when teams are really hot and go on streaks like this, they usually lose multiple games in a row instead of just one. So, going to be interesting. 
But all of that is coming up. We need to, again, say what a great, incredible game of footy we got to see between those two teams. And really had that feeling of old school footy um, when we've watched these two clubs battle it out over the years. Now, I know you guys are so excited because it's it's probably a lot of you Shedhead's favorite segment of the show, and it's Essendon Bombers time. And I know, you, you know, the Bombers faithful wait for this moment, week in and week out, what the Shedadamas is going to say about the great Essendon football club. Well, here it goes, Shedheads. After a 90-minute meeting with the power brokers at Essendon, Ross Lyon has said, eh, I'm not thinking I'm feeling right about this. That's right, Essendon. 90 minutes of sitting with power brokers from your organization, from your club, turned off the leading candidate to be your head coach because he came away feeling like, uh, I think they have a lot of stuff to sort out there at Essendon. And the crazy thing about this is we all know this, right? What do coaches want? Coaches want challenges. Coaches want to be able to be the guy that brings them from the doldrums to the trophy, right? That's what coaches live for. Most coaches don't want to go and, and accept a job when a, when a team just won a championship, right? Because that has added pressure on that coach to return serve and to bring that team right back to a championship. That's why the Dallas Cowboys... I don't think give enough respect to Barry Switzer coming in and leading the Cowboys to a Super Bowl because he followed Jimmy Johnson and the pressure that Barry felt. Uh, and I think after he got his Super Bowl, he's like, I don't need this anymore. And he quit. I'm saying he retired. He resigned, left. But but Ross Lyon, that's not the case. I'm saying Essendon is as low as Essendon can possibly almost get. And, and with what he feels he brings to the table, that should be mouth-watering to him. But he doesn't see it that way. Ross Lyons sees a real problem with administration. He sees a real problem with a locker room. He sees real problems that a lot of people say it's going to take an Essendon man to change Essendon back. But the problem is, does any Essendon man want to actually step into that locker room to even get involved in that? Because right now, it looks like there's just a bunch of guys in boardrooms that want to make those decisions and not guys inside locker rooms that want to make those decisions. And until Essendon can get over that, the Bombers are going to stay where the Bombers are at right now. But the only thing I know for a fact is that probably the best coach out there wants nothing to do with it. And that's two in a row. Because Alistair Clarkson went with the ruse, and now Ross Lyon says, I'm good. I'm good where I'm at. Thanks a lot. Thanks for calling. Thank you, thank you, yes, 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 I'm paying the bill now, thanks, goodbye, click, and he hung up the phone. So, Essendon, I don't know where you go from here, uh, I feel sorry for the Essendon faithful, um, because I think they definitely deserve better, but I think there's a lot of cleaning out of the closet that this team's got to do, and I think that's what Ross Lyon understands is getting ready to happen, is there's a lot, a lot of cleaning out of the closet that this club is going to have to do if they're really going to start making a push to be in the top eight again. So, Essendon, we'll see you next week. Now, I'd like to finish positive. You know that, Shedheads. But in some great news for the AFL and the future of the game, the AFL has signed the largest sports broadcast rights deal in Australian history. 
a $4.5 billion deal that involves seven Foxtel and Telstra for seven years. I, I Wow. You know, in, in this day and age, when you can uh, raise the stakes and, and bring more money and put it in your pocket, you know that's a special time. And the, the, great, the crazy thing about this thing is because this deal was probably the last stamp that Gillen McLaughlin is going to have for leaving his mark on the AFL. And you got to say the guy went out with a bang, don't you? Now, for us over here in the divided states, we're probably all still going to have to, uh, once again, sign up for, for you know, our, our, our apps and all that type of stuff to watch it because, you know, I don't get seven and, and all that type of stuff. Um and it probably also means that that these these services' fees are going to go up. But I think it's a great thing. I think this is a, an awesome moment for the AFL. Uh, they're, they're playing in front of st- packed stadiums. Uh, I, I think that they are only trending in the right direction. And I think proof of that is that they just made even more money on a longer-term deal. Uh, and again, AFL, you're flying right now. And that's what any type of organization wishes that they could have for him. So congratulations to Gillen and congratulations to the AFL for again changing the landscape over and down under. Now, as we go into our picks for the two matches for On the Mark, I, uh, you know, we went 50% again last week. Uh, again, I, I, I blame the ARC. I also blame uh, the kennel for overfeeding the dogs and, and letting them eat too early and not be able to uh, eat late. But as we go into the big Friday night matchup between the Lions and the Demons, uh, Christian Petrock is going to be back. And to me, that's the reason I'm going to go with the Ds. I know the Lions have a hard time playing down in Melbourne. And I think after the, the way that they played up in Sydney, uh, I, think that, I think that the Ds are going to find a way to uh, poach the Lions. Saturday, Doctors versus the Magpies. I kind of gave you a little bit hint or a little bit of a hint earlier, and I'm going to go back with that right now. That hint was I think Collingwood loses two matches in a row. The way that I saw that team dejected walking off the field after the loss to Geelong, I think it's going to have a hangover. I think that they're not going to come out of the gates firing right away, and I think Frio finds a way to get it done. Um, the big question is, does Nat Fife play for Frio this week? He's pushing hard to get back into the side. But I think even without Nat Fife in there, I think for some reason Frio's going to find a way to beat the Pies at the MCG. Now, going into the guns, we had a lot to pick from. But I'm going with Jeremy Cameron as my number one gun. Three goals, two behinds, 17 disposals, 11 kicks, six handballs, four marks, one clearance, and 414 meters gain. I'm saying the guy played like a beast. Um, those kicks that he made when it looked, again, like Collingwood was brought, ready to pull away uh, helped stabilize the Geelong fleet, the Geelong ship, and let them, how should I say, circle the wagons, get back, and get the victory late. Michael Walters for Fremantle, for Frio. The Purple Rain, three goals, three behinds, 18 disposals, 13 kicks, five handballs, Five marks, three tackles, 214 meters gained. In a match where it looked like they were dead to rights, Frio comes all the way back. So congratulations to Michael Walters as well. 
for helping steer Fremantle home. And then finally, Britt Nakora for the Cronulla Sharks. Three tries, 56 running meters, three line breaks, six tackle breaks, 35 tackles made to get the Sharks firing, to get them over the top uh, over a pesky Newcastle club, and to go into finals week round one um, playing well. So congratulations to Britain and the Sharkies for getting the victory in that one too. Now as we go inside, outside the bubble, you know me doing the hints about uh, tennis uh, during the, the early part of the, the, the show. And I first off have to say congratulations to Serena Williams. I know that you lost a, an incredible match uh, that had New York City um, just like I probably have not seen the U.S. Open ever. Um, she did fall. I hope she's not done personally, um, but I guess only time will tell. But to me, the, the the talking point right now is that we finally have an American man in the semifinals of the U.S. Open for the first time since 2006 when Francis Tiofu beat Andre Rublev 7-6, 7-5, to finally, finally, I would say live up to the expectation that Francis has and getting over the top and getting into the semifinal. He also got his wish because after five hours and 15 minutes, um, we finally got a latest finish in U.S. Open history when Carlos Alcarez finally took out Sinner last night, a match that I don't know if I've ever seen two guys striking the ball the way these two guys were doing it this late in the game. Um, but Alcarez comes out on top and will face Francis Tiofu tomorrow night to see who makes it to the U.S. Open final. On the other side, it's uh, Rude against Hatchinoff, uh, who Hatchinoff coming back, beating Nick Kyrgios, um, dashing Australia's hopes that they might get a, an Australian into the Australian Open final. But that is the other semifinal taking place. Now, tonight, big night over here in the United States or divided states, no matter which way you want to lay it. It is the kickoff for the NFL season. We've got the Rams. We've got the Bills uh, on Thursday night football. It's, it's going to be a game. I think there's a little bit of question mark over the Rams uh, because there's been some talk that Matthew Stafford's elbow might still not be 100% uh, that he had a procedure done in the offseason. So we're going to have to wait and see what's going on there. But besides that, I know that even down under, I know uh, Chad Townsend's a huge NFL fan. I know there's a lot of guys, you know, Val Holmes. There's a lot of guys that are big fans of the NFL. And the other reason they're big fans is because of fantasy football. I don't play fantasy football. But uh, I know a lot of people will be tuning in tonight just to kick off their fantasy week. So... Welcome back, NFL. Uh, let's hopefully not be more with the referees than we are the game and let the guys play. So that is my, my I guess, quick rundown of outside the bubble. I am so caught up right now with finals going up. Uh, also, just to let you Shedheads know, this next podcast for Outside the Sheds will be coming from New Zealand because that is where your Shedadamas will be. He begins his trek down under in a matter of days. Uh, I will actually, I think, be in the air 
as the Roosters and the Chooks play. So I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to watch the replay of that because, well, anyway, we'll figure that out. But uh, until next week, Shedheads, enjoy the finals. Uh, embrace them. I think we're going to see some pretty incredible stuff. Uh, have fun with it. Stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. Make sure you make some smart picks. Listen to your Shed Adamas. But until next week, see ya! And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about.